0: Welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Frances Harry, your host. We're in the middle of our series of podcasts on St. Teresa of Avila's classic masterpiece, The Interior Castle, one of my most favorite books. We're using the second edition of the Interior Castle Study Guide as our main source, and it's available at icspublications.org. Today's podcast is number seven in this series that we intend to have run throughout the end of 2023. So there's much more to come. Today, we're going to discuss chapters three and four of the fifth dwelling place. And there are seven dwelling places that Teresa Vavla discusses. So today we're at the end of the fifth dwelling place. The further the soul advances in union with God, the more mystical the journey becomes, and thus it's more difficult to express what can happen. And my guest and I are going to do do our best to explain things to the best of our ability. But in case we misstate misstate something, we want you to know that in all of our Carmelite conversations, we joyfully submit to the official teaching of Holy Mother Church. May the Holy Spirit guide us in everything. And He knows I need a double dose because I'm already dumping. <laughs> well, I'd like to uh, introduce again my guest, who is a longtime Discalced Carmelite secular and who I'm so grateful is willing to take this journey on the interior castle with me. Our guest is St. Um, Teresa Rittenhouse. Hello, Teresa.
1: Good morning, Francis.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you for joining me yet again. Um, we're, we're halfway through here. Well, uh, uh, it seems like a little halfway through, but the sixth mansion is going to cover a lot of chapters. So we'll be uh, going through that for quite a long time. But as usual, um, we'd like to start with an opening prayer. Um, we've picked one from John Paul Thomas's book, The Interior Journey Toward God, which I just love. So this prayer comes from it. Teresa, would you mind leading us in an opening prayer?
1: Yes. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. My demanding Lord, you deserve, you desire everything from me. You desire to take full ownership of my will so that it is no longer I who live, but you who lives within me. Please impress upon my will, your perfect will, and take possession of my entire life. I give all to you, dear Lord. Take me to yourself and transform my will into yours. Indwelling of the most holy trinity, I love you. I trust you. I surrender my life to you. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: I just love those prayers. Um, I suggest that if someone buys this book, that these prayers are Are wonderful. These chapters, they're, they're short, but they are so, um, potent with good points, um, that I would take it to Eucharistic adoration to pray with, to ponder. Um, but I, I just think it's fantastic. So, well, as usual, we like to link the mansion that we're discussing with the Our Father prayer. And today, We're linking to thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's associated with the fifth dwelling place because there's an urgent need to practice resignation to God's will in this new union with God. So, having come closer to God in prayer, being brought into the wine cellar, as in the Song of Songs, the soul longs to know God much more intimately. Thus, doing his will becomes more important than ever before and we always come up with some subtitles for uh, the mansion we're discussing Teresa would you introduce those for us again I think they're the same that we introduced last time but it's good to review
1: the prayer of union Um, this is fragments of heaven you know here on earth spiritual courtship and thy will be done inner transformation and of course, uh, the analogy of the silkworm to the butterfly and our new life in Christ.
0: All right. Thank you. And, you know, it is good to review. And so let's just take a quick review. Um, I'm going to let you answer the questions for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put you on the hot seat. <laughs> okay. Tell us what this
1: prayer of union is. Well, it's a felt union, so a prayer of great rejoicing without the understanding of knowing how or what the soul is rejoicing in. Um, The faculties are captivated, both inwardly and outwardly, and it's this intense meeting with the bridegroom to, to get to know him, and final courtship as preparation for the betrothal.
0: Oh yes, and that's that's the what we would consider engagement. So that's the sixth mansion. <laughs> now, um, what are the two essential
1: characteristics of this prayer of union? Well, it's a total suspension of the faculties, absolute um certainty that God has been present in the soul and the soul in God. And that's you so. You know that you know. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah, so that you are so certain that nobody could convince you otherwise, and would you would be certain for years on end.
1: Yes.
0: Um And to talk about the suspension of faculties. Remember, we talked about the faculties of the soul: the inferior faculties and the superior. The superior being the memory, the intellect, the will, the imagination; the inferior, more like the the sight, the smell, the hearing. And you know, there the theologians would go on at length about all that but we give you the short version <laughs> right <laughs> just to give us an understanding um but you can dive into that deeper anytime all right and then of course um uh, one of the titles was the transformation of of the caterpillar into the butterfly so this is the transformation of the soul where the cocoon is jesus and then through their works um jesus uh wraps them around and then helps the transformation by his grace and the response of the soul they're transformed into that butterfly and then then we can see some effects of this prayer of union can you tell us
1: what those were well i love this the absence of distractions since the faculties are captivated or suspended um the absence of fatigue because um, our personal effort now is reduced to a minimum. It, God is working in us. And since we're in this state, there's an extraordinary abundance of joy. I mean, this is the joy that surpasses understanding. <laughs> and um, the transformation of the soul into the butterfly. You know, um, death to ourself, we have become a new life.
0: Yes, I remember reading a a book called My Other Self, and it reminded me of this transformation. I really I think it was Clarence Insler. I really liked it. It was quite a long time I read read that, but it it, um, stuck on my memory as a good one. Okay, so then. Um of course in the fifth dwelling place there are sufferings as in every mansion there are sufferings there's temptations and there's favors and graces so um on this on the suffering um tell us about the kind of trials and sufferings of the fifth dwelling place and kind of the pains and sorrows that a soul experiences
1: well in this one there's a twofold agony uh, the person is longing for heaven We're here on earth and we just we're longing for the heavenlies to be with God fully and um, remains in this great agony, knowing that they're not there yet. Um, However, you know, we're still here on earth. We have a job to do. (laughs) So we, we we persevere. The soul experiences an interior suffering along with Christ in his interior agony. Over the rejections of souls by his saving grace. You know, Hello. now we hurt because he hurts.
0: Exactly. Um,
1: we're
0: going to see more and more how, how the soul, as it goes on this interior journey, getting closer to the center, the seventh mansion, is traveling along the way of the cross. So that's important for us to recognize.
1: Absolutely.
0: I I caught this quote from Susan Muto in her book. It's called Where Lovers Meet Inside the Interior Castle, where she says this, which I thought was beautiful. She said, suffering only serves to polish the diamond her soul has become. Isn't that great?
1: That's lovely.
0: Suffering only serves to polish the diamond her soul has become. And you think back when the first mansion we were talking about. How Teresa began this whole journey, thinking of the um, interior castle as a as a polished diamond. But but if you think about the process of how a diamond comes into being, you know, it's um, it's pressed, it's cut, purified, polished, and then it radiates great beauty and light. And um, so I just thought that that was really um, a beautiful quote. Okay. So that leads us now to this third chapter. And again, um, Teresa is going to be talking about the union of wills. Okay. And, um, again, like you said, Teresa, um, it's called a faith union here. Okay. The previous prayer of union, which is a degree of prayer was a felt union, and that's what you referenced, a felt union. Here, we're going to talk about a faith union, which is the terms that Susan Muto used in her book. Now, there is a possibility that the soul can still fall from grace. So tell us about this, Teresa. Oh,
1: you know, our mother is giving us warnings. (laughs) We can't be complacent. And this beautiful grace that God gives. He doesn't want to give this favor of union in vain. So even if the soul falls from grace and becomes complacent or presumptuous, it gives forth the seed that produces other silkworms. And I love this. So she says, I hold that it is God's desire that a favor so great not be given in vain. If a person doesn't herself benefit, the favor will benefit others. For since the soul is left with these desires and virtues that were mentioned, it always brings profit to other souls during the time that it continues to live virtuously. And they catch fire from its fire. So those who have fallen from grace may still be used by God as an instrument of his mercy to others. These souls may still benefit others. The soul delights in explaining the favors of God that grants to whoever loves and serves him. I love that. Um
0: and it's you know,
1: he, he is going to give favors and and um we just need to be very watchful that we don't fall from grace. <laughs> it just
0: reminds me that you know the favors, once they're imprinted in the soul even if the soul falls backward god can still pull good out of it i mean his mercy is so great he can pull good out of our our yuck anytime yes. i just love that too and you know this this may also be a time that god allows the soul to be tested because as these souls might become a great influence to others it's crucial to know whether there's any weak spots that that need um, purifying before the soul advances, and, and it's not that God doesn't know; He knows, but He needs us to know, so yes. that we we know what we need to work on. Oh, that's merciful, isn't it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> he He's given us a wake up call,
0: <laughs> right? And I know Teresa blah, blah she says this quote: "In order to merit more and more and avoid getting lost, our security lies in obedience." And refusal to deviate from God's law. All right. So she spells it out very clearly. There is no doubt. Okay. So this, this true union with, which is a union that now does not have supernatural manifestations. There's no mystical aspect, uh, extraordinary mystical aspect that is going on. So this is a union, um, well, I'll read the quote, what she says. True union can very well be reached with God's help if we make the effort to obtain it by keeping our wills fixed only on that which is God's will. So our eyes on God's will, doing God's will. And she continues, one cannot arrive at the delightful union. And when she says delightful union, she's talking about that prayer of union where you have that joy and that certitude. Okay. Okay. So, one cannot arrive at the delightful union if the union coming from being resigned to God's will is not very certain. So, in other words, um, through your efforts to die to self, you can grow and enter into the Fitz Mansion through this union of wills. And... This prayer of union may occur in the fifth mansion. It's not necessary. Okay, you don't have to have experienced it in order to continue onward. But if you're not in this union of wills, where you're self-sacrificial, self selflessness, um, if you um, are in, you cannot receive that delightful union if you're not in the union of wills. Put it like that. So you cannot have this delightful union, which is the prayer of union, if you're not already in union with his will. That's the way I understood what she wrote. So then the question is, what is the delightful union? That's the prayer of union previously described in chapter one of the fifth
1: dwelling place. Would you
0: mind reading that quote from her about that union?
1: In the delightful union, the experience of seeing oneself in so new a life greatly helps one to die. In the other union, it's necessary that while living in this life, we ourselves put the silkworm to death. I confess this latter latter death will require a great deal of effort, or more than that, but it has its value. Thus, if you come out victorious... The reward will be much greater. So this union with God's will is the union I have desired all my life. It is the union I ask the Lord for always and the one that is clearest and safest.
0: And then she goes on to say, but alas, how few of us obtain it. <laughs> so it's like, oh, dear. But she's going to tell us what the pitfalls are and what we need to do. So that's good. So. Just in that short quote, she talked about two kinds of union. The delightful union, which is the degree of prayer called prayer of union, which is that joy, that certitude, the, the captivation of the faculties. OK, and then she talks about the other union, which is the union of wills. It's very important to get this clear. For the longest time, when uh, Teresa starts to talk about the shortcut, which we're going to hit here very soon yeah. I'm like I don't know i I'm not sure what this is so i'm I'm happy to um be able to explain it now that I've investigated and been taught more <laughs> so um what's beautiful here though is God is um for some souls he will for some reason once they're in that fifth union of wills he will give them that delightful union and and he knows why he's doing it. Of course, he gave it to Teresa and we're so glad because she can explain it to us so that we understand what's going on and what we should do and how we should be safeguarded. And then Teresa goes on to say, "Okay, it's going to take a great deal more effort, but she says the reward will be much greater because you didn't get that supernatural help. Yes, you get the grace of God, but not an extraordinary supernatural gift. And then she also says it's the clearest and safest. So this union of wills, the one she desired all her life, is the clearest and safest. Now, those words, (laughs) clearest and safest, are are words that both she and John of the Cross um, both used as we get into the mystical manifestations that occur in the sixth and seventh mansions. So we want to be safe, because if we're not safe, then we're opening ourselves up for attack to the devil. All right. So so we're we're very clear. Teresa's teaching us about two types of union in the fifth dwelling place, the prayer union and the union of wills. So now what's the shortcut? (laughs) Well, Teresa, can you tell us what this shortcut is? Because she uses that word and you're like, what? Did I miss
1: something? (laughs) Exactly. And don't we all love a shortcut? (laughs) (laughs) This shortcut refers to the suspension of the imagination and memory or the beginning of an ecstasy accompanied by the complete absence of both distractions and fatigue and abundance of sensible joy all of which may or may not accompany mystical union. The shortcut is the delightful union or prayer of union.
0: So we've been discussing this shortcut, but this is the first time she uses that word shortcut is in that third chapter. And so you're like, well, what's the shortcut? And And so unless you remember what the characteristics are, then you're not sure what she's talking about. So you have to remember that, um, those characteristics of, of the, um, ecstasy, the just having no distractions or fatigue and great joy and certitude. That's important. So again, Saint Teresa teaches us that this shortcut, that prayer of union, the degree of prayer is not required in order to be in the fifth dwelling place. But what is required is the union of our wills, uniting our will to the will of God. So you don't have to have supernatural, mystical experiences in prayer to go forward. In fact, I I think a lot of people can read some of the lives of our saints in Carmel and see evidence of that. I know St. Therese of the Little Flower, She she would say that she didn't have... Very many mystical experiences. She, probably, she did have some, but, um, she didn't have some of the most, um, uh, recognizable ones that St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross would be talking about. So I just want to stop and ask, have you, have our listeners ask yourselves this. And I got this from John Paul Thomas's book. What's more important to experience the consoling presence of God and that shortcut and that union of prayer or to be conformed fully to the will of God.
1: Well as Teresa oh. says <laughs> have our wills be conformed to the will of God and don't expect these beautiful delights. They they are consolations and and graces and gifts that God gives as he desires. So yeah. we we need to just remember just Take our walk, our own personal walk with God and and not expect anything. Those other things are gifts. They're just beautiful gifts. And if we get them fabulous and if we don't fabulous, we're still growing. This is a win-win. <laughs>
0: God's plan for your growth is the best plan of all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, as you mentioned that, I have to say that this is also, you know, in the last couple of mansions where you know, sometimes souls get caught up and want and they kind of pseudo-create their own mystical experience and so that it's a false experience. Um Definitely. they're gonna have these feelings and they're gonna think, This is it, I'm there. And um I I heard um another Dan Burke, um I've I've heard him say that you know, a lot of souls mistake Thinking they're farther along than they really are, because when you have your first, you know, sense of uh, infused contemplation or a sense of God's presence, you, it, it's new to you, and so you you think you're at the end of the line when really you're just at the beginning.
1: <laughs> well, and doesn't he give you just sips? He gives you a what's 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 next? You know, come follow me. Um, and I I know being in Carmel now and hearing all the new aspirants coming in, and, which thrills me and fills my heart because we always want to have more people join us in Carmel. Um, but, you know, they like you said, you think you're further along than you are. And once you start reading Interior Castle, it's like, oh, no, we have a long way to go. <laughs>
0: But he encourages us. And when we see <laughs> yeah. that others may experience these graces, we thank God for them. We thank God that he is manifesting his presence in them and that these are gifts to the whole church at, at large as well as to individuals, because everybody around them profits. Um,
1: so Absolutely.
0: Well, there are some worms, however, that prevent union with God. (laughs) So what are some of these worms that um, St. Teresa of Avila warns us about?
1: Oh, the ugliest of all, self-love, self-esteem, being so judgmental of one's neighbors, even in little things, lacking charity for others, and not loving others as ourselves.
0: And although these are very broad, um, she's getting down to the nitty gritty details. The, the little things mean a lot. And I think Therese, the little flower, would, would help us understand little things mean a lot. So the soul here must deal a death blow to these imperfections in order to confirm its will to the will of God. So then that leads to the question. I'm gonna have you answer this again because you're really doing good on this hot seat, <laughs> Okay, it's a big one though. Um, what is God's will?
1: That we be completely perfect. Um, see what we lack to be one with him and his father as his majesty act uh ask.
0: So you know. that, that should help you remember um when Jesus talks about being perfect and to be one perfection then is the complete conformity of our will to the will of God. So this is what it means to deal a complete death to our self will. And there's a great scripture passage for this. Would you like to read this? This is from John chapter 17, verse 20
1: through 23. It says, I pray not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, so that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and I have given them the glory you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them, and you in me. That they may be brought to perfection as one, that the world may know that you sent me and that you love them even as you loved me.
0: Ah, thank you, Jesus, for telling us that. <laughs> and that he's praying for us. That should give us great hope, right? Absolutely. Well, then Teresa says, Well, what does the Lord ask of us? And she says, he asks of us love of God and love of neighbor. Uh, you know, it, it's sim- it's very simple. Love of God and love of neighbor. She says, and this is her quote, These are what we must work for. By observing them with perfection, okay, not just laxity or barely getting by, but with perfection, we do his will and so we'll be united with him. May it please his majesty to give us his grace so that we might merit, if we want, To reach the state that lies within our power. So at the same time she's encouraging us. She's also warning us. And and also telling us. You know it's with perfection. In the details of loving uh, God. And loving neighbor. So then that leads to the question. How do we know we are loving God?
1: Well I love this. The most certain sign in my opinion. And this is as she's writing. As to whether we are not observing these two laws is whether we observe well the love of neighbor. We cannot know whether or not we love God, although there are strong indications for recognizing that we do love him. But we can know whether we love our neighbor and be certain that the more advanced you see you are in love for your neighbor, the more advanced you will be in the love of God. Regarding the virtue of love of neighbor, St. Teresa counsels us, if you were to understand how important this virtue is for us, you wouldn't engage in any other study.
0: Wow, that's a big, big suggestion there.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: We've got to work. And so that means like when we have our evening uh, nightly examination of conscience, you know, how well have I loved God today? How well did I love my neighbor? We don't know how well we love God because it's, you know, our faith and, you know, our devotions will give a sense of that. But she said the real indication of whether we love God is how well we love our neighbor. So then we should really,
1: you know, look at that. In in the parking lot, did we not smile, you know, at, uh, you know, that someone that we... It's all Grumpy in the uh waiting room at the hospital or the doctor's office. You know, it's little things, as uh Saint Therese has said, little things um to the people that uh God has given around us, our family, our neighbors, truly, and and everyone that we meet. Um, so yes, the examination of confidence, you know, we don't just love our good friends. We need to love everyone
0: that's right and you know I think we have more occasions to practice love of neighbor with our own family than we do anywhere else (laughs) so that's really important because what what kind of love is this it's a it's a self-giving love a self-sacrificial love one that is that's a great sign of virtue um and it if it doesn't rise from the love of God then it then it's in an inverse relationship, you've got to have love of God, then love of neighbor. Um, But since we can't tell, you know, clearly how well we love God, we can't examine how well we love our neighbor. The people around well, us, God puts around us to chisel us and help and us grow in virtue, right? Don't
1: you know, you're always at your busiest or at your worst when, when people, you're confronted in, with these situations, you know, so... <laughs> Um, God does set us up for little, little tests and trials as to how we do love our neighbor. How are we charitable to, 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 you know, forget about ourselves that maybe we can spare a few minutes to listen to someone, you know, to help someone. And it wouldn't have really put us out at all because God always rewards us. So, you know, we just, We need to remember that.
0: And and to advance, you've got to be battle worthy. So you've got to be battle tested. Um, But he never gives us more than we can handle, right? Because he's always with us. (laughs) That's right. All right. So this is going to now lead into um, the wiles of the devil. So the spiritual warfare here that Teresa is very good at pointing out. So could you start? Uh, leading us in what, what the devil's doing here.
1: Oh, the wiles of the devil. My goodness. Pay no attention to any big plans that sometimes suddenly come to us during our prayer, in which it seems we will do wonders for our neighbor and even for just one soul so that they may be saved. If afterward our deeds are, are not in conformity with those plans, There will be no reason to believe that we will accomplish the plans. Practice humility. St. Teresa warns us against mistaking desires in the imagination for true determination in the will. It is in the imagination that the devil produces his wiles and his uh, deceits. So we need to be mindful of that. The devil will try to make us think we have some virtue when we don't. Vain virtues have vain glory and pride in them.
0: I remember, and Therese, an
1: example. Of I'm this,
0: sorry to interrupt. I just remember Therese talking about, you know, one moment you might have the, the virtue and the very next moment is gone because it's not yours, <laughs> it's God's. And he's, it's like on loan to you to use. And if you don't use it, then you lose it, right? Yes. And, um. You know, then say you you've been using it, and you think you have it, and then all of a sudden, uh oh, you see something you did with your neighbor, and you didn't have it, and so it's it's helping us to um, be atten- more attentive to the details in our life, and to not take anything on presumption. Um, exactly. That we always need to work toward God, toward His union, and examine ourselves in love.
1: Exactly. Um, An example of feigned virtue, some souls will want to be humiliated publicly, but in reality, they'll try to hide their faults. And they would be very upset if accused of faults they didn't even commit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that you have to be careful of that. Um, (laughs) Warnings. She's always warning us, remain humble. The powers of hell are still capable of winning the soul back to sin, and you know that's why she keeps saying, "Be careful of the little things." You know we're polishing this diamond in our of our soul to make it bright and brilliant. We do not want little flaws and 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 uh, flakes and smudges on there, so we have to be very careful. And remember, love is never idle. To not go forward is to fall backward. The soul must keep advancing,
0: and that so. makes me think of that statue of Teresa with her staff in hand. Uh, <laughs> she's walking forward, right <laughs>
1: exactly um,
0: so um Teresa talks about these falls a lot because she herself experienced them, and I think the Lord allowed that so that we could learn from her how to. Respond when we ourselves fall. And so I'm so grateful that Teresa was so humble that she shared this with us. You know, she could have hidden it, but because yes. she's humble and true, um, she shared it. Now, she didn't say it was me or she might have referred <laughs> to herself. Um, but, you know, from studying her, we we understand that it it was she talking about her own self, um, especially if you read her other works. So. Um, I wanted to insert here a poem that Teresa wrote. Um, We don't often hear of the poems that St. Teresa of Avila wrote. um, But this one, I I think, fits in here. Because if you have fallen and you want to get back up, right? Because, you know, on the way of the cross, Jesus showed us three times, falling but getting back up. This one poem is number eight in the Collected Works. I think it's volume three. It's called Seeking God. And it's um it's a poem that's based off of the confessions of St. Augustine. And the refrain um, is in yourself, seek me, which I think is so important. So to go inward to God within. All right. So the soul is be constantly being invited interiorly. And since this is the interior castle, I thought this would be really good to insert this poem. So it's called Seeking God. Soul, you must seek yourself in me, and in yourself seek me. With such skill, soul, love could could portray you in me that a painter well-gifted could never show so finely that image. For love, you were fashioned deep within me, painted so beautiful, so fair. If, my beloved, I should lose you, soul, in yourself seek me. Well, I know that you will discover yourself portrayed in my heart, so lifelike, drawn. It will be delight to behold yourself so well painted. And should by chance you do not know where to find me, do not go here and there. But if you wish to find me, in yourself seek me. Souls, since you are my room, my house and dwelling, if at any time... Through your distracted ways, I find the door tightly closed. Outside yourself, seek me not. To find me, it will be enough only to call me. Then quickly will I come. And in yourself, seek me. And that's the end of that poem. So um, I hope that for somebody listening, that was a nice refresher. It was for me uh, to seek God within. So that leads us onward in this um, fifth dwelling place. How is true union with his will obtained? And she's very clear about answering that
1: question. Works (laughs) are what the Lord wants.
0: Okay, so so what are these works? Tell us all about it.
1: (laughs) Well, St. Teresa specifies these works. He desires that if you see a sister who is sick to whom you can bring some relief, you have compassion on her and not worry about losing this devotion, and that if she is suffering pain, you also feel it, and that if necessary, you fast so that she might eat, not so much for her sake as because you know it is your Lord's desire. This is true union with his will, and if you see a person praised, the Lord wants you to be much happier than if you yourself were being praised. This indeed is easy for if you have humility you will feel sorry to see yourself praised. But this happiness comes when the virtues of the sisters are known is a very good thing. And when we see some fault in them it is also a very good thing to be sorry and hide the fault as though it were our very own. Well, she's She's saying have empathy have empathy and sympathy for our, for our sisters and our brothers.
0: And actually that quote is a great material for an examination of conscience and preparation for the sacrament of confession of reconciliation. So, These works about loving our neighbor. So what can we do to improve in our love of neighbor? And the first thing I zeroed in was beg our Lord to give you this perfect love of neighbor. (laughs) And so I'm going to put in in that quote in full here. She says, this is St. Teresa of Avila speaking. When you see yourself lacking in this love, which is she's talking about the love of neighbor. Even though you have devotion and gratifying experiences that make you think you have reached this stage, meaning the fifth dwelling-place, and you experience some little suspension in the prayer of quiet for to some it then appears that everything has been accomplished like we mentioned before, yeah. believe me, you have not reached union. Beg the Lord to give you this perfect love of neighbor and it it reminds me of You know, for a while there, um, there was a movement, the WWJD movement, which was, what would Jesus do? WWJD, (laughs) what would Jesus do? And um, Carolyn Humphreys, in her book, Ash to Fire, which is about the interior castle, which is one of my other favorite books, she says, the soul in the fifth dwelling place lives a day to day, hour to hour decision. To become more like Jesus in thought, word, and deed. Strive to live, work, pray, play, and love as Jesus did. And then Teresa goes on to say, and, and we need to take this to heart. She says, enforce your will to do the will of your sisters and everything, even though you may lose your rights. Forget your own good for their sakes, no matter how much resistance your nature puts up. And when the occasion arises, strive to accept work yourself so as to relieve your neighbor of it. You know, like when it's time to take out the trash and they didn't do it and you got to do it instead. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, she says, don't think that it won't cost you anything or that you will find everything done for you. Look at what our spouse's love for us cost him in order to free us from death. He died that most painful death of the cross. So it's a it's a costly grace. Well, in the study guide um, they added this other poem and another Carmelite saint. It's Saint Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, also known as Edith Stein, who wrote this beautiful excerpt about the love of neighbor in her work entitled "The Mystery of Christmas." So Teresa, would you mind? reading after you, you got so many wonderful namesakes my goodness <laughs> i
1: know I, I i am so blessed <laughs> beautiful heavenly partners um she writes our love for our fellow humans is the measure of our love for god but it is different from a natural love of our neighbor natural love goes out to this one or that one who may be close to us through the bond of blood or through a kinship of character or common interest. The rest, then, are strangers who do not concern us, who it may be eventually come to be repulsive, so that one keeps them as far away as possible from contact with us. For the Christian, there are no such strangers. Rather, he is the neighbor This is the one who stands before us and who is in greatest need of our help. It doesn't matter whether he is related to us or not, whether we like him or not, whether he is morally worthy of help or not. The love of Christ knows no bounds. It never stops. It does not shrink back from ugliness and dirt. He came for the sake of sinners and not for the sake of the just. If the love of Christ lives in us, then we will, like him, go out after the lost sheep. Isn't that beautiful?
0: And potent. And, of course, she lived this. And she died in a Nazi concentration camp. And um, she loved her neighbor fully. Um, just an amazing woman. An amazing saint. And really brilliant. And just this little excerpt um, really tells us a lot and may convict us in some of our prejudices, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: Another one to take to to, uh, prayer and and maybe examine (laughs) our conscience with. Okay, now we're going to move on to the final chapter of the fifth dwelling place. Now, she starts by recalling the butterfly that we talked about in chapter two with with the life cycle of the silkworm and she's saying well the butterfly rests neither in spiritual delights nor in earthly consolations its flight is higher so it's kind of suspended in mid air so in some ways that's good because you've got a bird's eye view but on on the other hand um it doesn't have a resting place. And she addresses that. She says, although it the butterfly is always bearing fruit by doing good for itself and for other souls, it never stops to rest because it fails to find its true repose. So um that means we've got more to happen for this butterfly. And so we'll see what happens in the sixth and seventh dwelling places. So. St. Teresa points out to us that this union that she's been explaining to us leads to a spousal or or what we would call spiritual marriage, which occurs in the seventh dwelling place. The, the um, engagement thing is the sixth, and then the spiritual marriage is in the seventh. St. Teresa is careful to clearly point out that this union, this union of will or the prayer of union, is all spiritual, all right? and that there's never anything that is not spiritual, for it is all a matter of love united with love. There was a real heresy about some people thinking, well, they've achieved this level of purification, and therefore they can have bodily uh, experiences with other people, and it, it'd be no problem. And and that was a flaw. And, and the study guide actually details that a, a great deal, um, but I'm not going to go into that now. But we've not got to be clear that Teresa is talking in spiritual terms when she's talking about the spiritual union or spiritual um, marriage. So the fifth mansion is like the courtship. And then the sixth mansion is the betrothal or engagement. And then the marriage of the seventh mansion. That's, that's the journey that we are talking about. And, um, that leads us to more of what she talks about, this prayer of reunion. Can you um, elaborate some more there for us?
1: Um, well, we compare the prayer of union to our current series of dating and courtship and leading to the spiritual betrothal, or what we call engagement. St. Teresa says, in the case of this union with God, the agreement has been made and the soul is well informed about the goodness of her spouse. And determined to do his will in everything, and in as many ways as she sees might make him happy. God then wants the soul to know him more and meet together. So he reveals himself more in this prayer of union.
0: And that sets the soul on fire, doesn't it? It oh sets on, on fire with love for God because he's revealing himself. And the the soul becomes more deeply committed to spending lots of time with God. And the awareness of God's presence and his action in their lives has just been amplified greatly. But we're, we're not to take God for granted. And so Teresa, again, comes back to some warnings for us. and And this is very helpful. This is what we need to watch out for. Would you care oh. to comment on those?
1: Absolutely. I, you know, I, I love these warnings. (laughs) If the soul is careless about placing its affection in something other than him, it loses everything. And the loss is as great as the favors he was granting her and cannot be exaggerated. So, you know, this is, we don't want to lose this. Right. Um, And
0: it, it, it speaks to having right order in relationships too that you don't put others before God. So that's
1: important. Absolutely. And the soul is not so strong that it can place itself in the occasion as it will be after the betrothal is made.
0: Well, that's a really interesting statement. (laughs) Yes. So in other words, she's saying you've got to continue to avoid the near occasions of sin. But then she's saying after the betrothal is made. So that's the engagement. So after... Um, the soul enters into the sixth mansion. Then you're you're not uh, so tempted. Um, you're more protected because you're so close to God. There's no no door between the sixth and the seventh dwelling places. It's it's all together, but it's degrees of of depth of this intimacy. Absolutely. But I, I was like, wow, um, you know, it it just signifies being enclosed in God so completely that the evil one. You know, even though he may try, he's not going to have any success in taking no. it down unless you're just really, really choosing to fall.
1: Well, you know, when we first start to enter into Carmel or any prayer life of any sort, he, he's pulling our pulling on our tail, you know, wanting to attack us then to not even begin this process. So now that we're getting higher and and more polished and closer to God, he's back in there. You know, the devil wants to prevent this soul's betrothal to God. So we need to be aware of that. Um, And once betrothed to God, the soul is entirely surrendered to God. And well, that's when the devil fears the soul because I now love we're that was wrong. <laughs> it reminds
0: me in Saint Teresa's story of the soul where she sees some devils hiding behind some steps or something, if I remember correctly, and she says they're afraid of me.
1: <laughs> I was like, oh, that's great. <laughs> yes, um, and you know the devil is using cunning and deceit to tempt that soul, and if the devil makes the soul fall. You know, if you're at this place now that many other souls fall with it. So, this is where we must be careful. Um, if we're wanting to save souls, we definitely don't want to lose souls, not ours or anyone else's.
0: Right. So, that brings to mind some very pertinent questions. And St. Teresa is very good about pointing them out herself. <laughs> and so, the first question she says is first, If the soul is as ready to do the will of God as was mentioned, how can it be deceived since it doesn't want to do anything but his will in awe? How do you answer that?
1: The devil can deceive us under the color of good. Um, Then little by little, the devil darkens the intellect. It cools the will's ardor and it makes self-love grow until one way or another he withdraws the soul from the will of God, and brings it to his own, Um, so, you know, he just inches, and creeps in there,
0: we're often caught unaware, so, how important that examination of conscience is, how important it is to examine how well we're loving our neighbor, and, you know, where was your love for your neighbor cooling down, all right, when, when did you, when could have you helped, and you Went the other way. Or when could you have forgiven a slight, but instead pointed it out? You know, things like that. And then she goes to a second question. What are the ways in which the devil can enter so dangerously that your soul goes astray? This is very important. What are the ways in which the devil can enter so dangerously that your soul goes astray? And this is a little
1: scary. There is no enclosure so fenced in that the devil cannot enter, or desert so withdrawn that he fails to go there. Eh, So anyone can be tempted. You know, our dear Jesus was tempted.
0: Well, and St. Teresa suggests why God may permit such a temptation. And I think we kind of alluded to that earlier. She says... Perhaps the Lord permits this so as to observe the behavior of that soul he wishes to set up as a light for others. If there's going to be a downfall, it's better that it happened in the beginning rather than later when it would be harmful to many. So God, in his wisdom, tests us and um, proves us so that we can be strengthened. If you don't have a battle, how do you get stronger? Right. Um, Absolutely. Of course, God could give you the grace, and and you just uh, receive the grace like the shortcut. <laughs> and it's up to Him how He's going to work with the soul. Um, but isn't it great that Saint Teresa brings these questions up because we're thinking it as we're reading through it, and then she she actually addresses it. So um, I, I I wonder if it she was questioning it herself, or uh, in discussing this with others, they brought those up, or. Um, I don't know, but I'm so grateful that she was very clear about these questions. So then, what's the soul to do, Teresa?
1: Well, she tells us, and I love this, always ask God in prayer to sustain us. And why shouldn't we? You know, if we're going to be tested, have him hold our hand during the whole time. Um, it reminds never- me,
0: I'm, I'm going to interrupt. Sorry. It reminds yeah. me of a, a, a prayer. Um, you know, Jesus take care of everything. And I change I changed that to Jesus, thank you for taking care of everything. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So always ask God in prayer. To have Him sustain us in everything. Never trust in ourselves. Um, you know, that's uh, that's that vain glory there.
0: Yeah, Walk we, with we really-
1: special care and attention in the practice of our virtues. Observe how we're progressing. And this is what she stresses, especially in love of our neighbor. You know, if, if we see that we're growing in love of, of everyone, of strangers, of of everyone around us, then we know we are growing in the love of God.
0: And, you know, I put a challenge. Let me put a challenge out there. You know, we're we're in a very politically divisive situation. In 2023. And so, this is a good place to examine how well we're playing, praying for those that we may not agree with. And I think that's very important to to pray the news, is what one nun uh, taught me. Pray the news. So, when you don't like the news, don't just be disgusted by it, but try to pray it up.
1: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Uh, practice humility by desiring to be the least among others. You know, we don't always have to be the first, the greatest, the best. There are those that will, <laughs> will humiliate us and and be the best and the greatest. So, but practice humility. Be careful in the performance of ordinary tasks. You know, it's the little things that we do around the home, in the neighborhood, things like that. Do it to the best of our abilities and um and and just be glad in that. That's a beautiful thing. Ask the Lord to enlighten us. You know, if we're in the dark, if we have any questions, my goodness, take that to prayer. And finally, Saint Teresa summarized it all by telling us, let this in sum be the con the conclusion that we strive always to advance. And if we don't advance, let us walk with great fear. Without doubt, the devil wants to cause some lapse. Love is never idle, and a failure to grow would be a very bad sign. A soul that has tried to be the betrothed of God himself, that is now intimate with his majesty and has reached the boundaries that were mentioned, must not go to sleep. I love that.
0: Right. And that leads to a scripture passage um, that also expresses this very clearly. This is from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 through 9. Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that. He, excuse me, knowing that the same experience of suffering is required of your brotherhood throughout the world. So we're battle tested. So be sober, be watchful. And Teresa tells us, through his favors. So the, the favors God grants us, we can understand something of what he will give us in heaven. Hence the subtitle, the mansion fragments of heaven, right? Yes. All right. I think we we've covered chapter three and four um, pretty well. There's always more, but we can't, you know, part of me wants to read every line and chew every line. (laughs) But but I'm just trying to do some highlights here (laughs) with you, Teresa. So Um, I have an optional closing prayer here and I want to introduce it. I I just discovered this um, recently. It's from Blessed Mary Josephine of Jesus Crucified, who was a Discalced Carmelite nun. Um, she was born in Naples, Italy on February 18th 1894. i love to introduce some new saints to our Carmelite family and those who follow Carmelite spirituality. Um, she entered the Carmelite community of Santa Maria Ponte Rossi and made her solemn profession August 6, 1933. In 1945, she was elected prioress, an office she held until her death. She endured the painful trials of illness and persecution by abandoning herself to the will of God. You know, all of these saints have times of great trial and suffering, but God makes good of it, right? All who sought her help were inspired by her deep spirituality, humility, and simplicity, as she inspired hope and faith in God and in the Blessed Virgin Mary. She died in Naples on March 14th, 1948, paralyzed by multiple sclerosis. She died of gangrene. Her feast day is June 26th. So that's coming up in just a few days uh, from the day we are doing this podcast. And she celebrated in the Italian provinces of the Discalced Carmelite Order. So, Teresa, I picked some quotes from her because she writes really well on the will of God. So would you mind sharing some of these quotes with us? Because we, this is important in the Fifth Mansion, doing God's will.
1: I love this. It has always been my heart's burning desire to fulfill the will of God. I have never wanted anything else. I have lived and am living the divine will. It is something I need more than the food I eat and the air I breathe. I would not know how not to do his will, even for a moment. I have always wanted to live and to die conforming to the will of God. I wanted God's will to always be in my thoughts, in my words, in everything I do and in every step I make. It was only through following God's will that I was able to transform my pains into joy, transforming my life from Mount Calvary to Mount Tabor. That is lovely. And there's another one here. God's will is a kiss of his love. It is an embrace of his goodness, which lifts the soul out of its own misery in order to be comforted in his arms. The will of God is an act of tenderness, which should make the soul want to abandon itself in love.
0: And so now we'll go to her prayer. And again, this is Blessed Mary Josephine of Jesus Crucified. What's her prayer?
1: In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, will of God, infinite love. Take away my will in the flame of your love. I want to unite myself to you, my God, who are my all. I want only to do whatever pleases you. I want my life to be a continuous adoration, a continuous hymn of love for you, O God, who are one and three, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: That is such a beautiful prayer, and i I hope that it will strike the souls of those are listening to this podcast today but you know um, each summer I always think of the prophet Elijah because we often get the book of kings in the daily mass readings and so I'm going to bring a double portion here Teresa
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: the double portion that I always like looking for in Carmel uh, it, it comes from when Saint Elisha uh, asked the prophet Saint Elijah for a double portion right yeah and I'm I ran across this prayer many, many years ago. Um, we've done some podcasts in the past on Elizabeth Kindle, who was a Carmelite. Elizabeth Kindleman of Hungary. And um, there is this diary of the flame of love. She um, had locutions from Jesus and Mary. Um, she lived a very austere life, suffered a lot, um, but was given this prayer from from Jesus called the Unity Prayer. Now, this unity prayer um, was given to help blind Satan. So uh, it's a really good prayer to pray. And Father Blount, B-L-O-U-N-T, um, who is an exorcist, um a priest in Georgia, um, he has been going around the world, um, uh proliferating this prayer the unity prayer because he said twice in one setting um possessed souls manifested and his prayer team and him prayed this prayer they're testing how the strength of this prayer they prayed this prayer around these souls when they manifested and they were delivered immediately at the end of the prayer and so it's an amazing prayer To blind Satan. If we blind Satan. Then we have better chances of going forward. Right? And um, so I I wanted to share this unity prayer with you. And you can find it on the flameoflove.us. Okay? So www.flameoflove.us. This is Elizabeth Kindleman. Who received this prayer from Jesus. To blind Satan. Called the unity prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My adorable Jesus, may our feet journey together. May our hands gather in unity. May our hearts beat in unison. May our souls be in harmony. May our thoughts be as one. May our ears listen to the silence together. May our glances profoundly penetrate each other. May our lips pray together to gain mercy from the eternal father. Amen. In the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit. Amen. Isn't that Thank a great you. summary of the fifth mansion and onward yes. <laughs> unity, the unity prayer. So um, father Blount has suggested that you pray this once for yourself and your family. And then another time for either your country, your state or the world. You know, um, I've taken to praying it for each member of my family because <laughs> I'm pressing in because these are these are tough times. So um the Unity Prayer, Elizabeth Kindleman, The Flame of Love. There's a diary called The Flame of Love that's really beautiful. So um we're coming to the end of this podcast. This is a series that is going to continue going through the end of 2023. That's our intention. And um I have to issue a spiritual challenge, and and it is to pray, Thy will be done, over and over and over. Thy will be done, and then ask yourself, how do you see God's will manifest in your lives? Examine how you are living God's will, uh, hence on how well you're loving your neighbor, right? And pray. For the grace to love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So that's the spiritual challenge. I hope you take it up um, with me. And next month, um, we'll be de- beginning the discussion of the sixth dwelling place. Uh, we're going to just do the first three chapters to start. So there's 11 chapters in this sixth mansion, the sixth <laughs> dwelling place. So we're going to do a little by little, very mystical. But a lot of guidance. Um, and if we're not in that mansion, which m- most people may not be, then it's still good to learn this, this stuff to help you appreciate what um, some of our really spiritual and great saints have gone through. What are their teaching and um, to thank God for the favors and graces that he bestows to souls to to help the church at large, to help humanity grow. So um, I thank you, Teresa, for joining me again. Thank you so much. It's so much nicer to have a conversation than to just read a, read a, a presentation. So thank you, Teresa.
1: I enjoy this myself. I thank you.
0: All right. And we thank you, listeners, for tuning in to our Carmelite Conversations. So we say goodbye for now. And God bless you. We hope to meet up with you again. Bye-bye.